welcome to The Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we read from Acts chapter 4. And so they were speaking to the people. The priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came up upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about five thousand. On the next day their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than forty years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of the Lord. In this text, we see an immediate follow-up to yesterday's chapter where Peter and John, on their way into the temple, they run across a, a crippled man who's been lame since birth, cannot walk, never has been able to, and he's begging, he's asking for money, and instead of giving him money, they heal him. In the name of Jesus, they, they give him the ability to walk, the strength to walk. Uh, just the incredible miracle that that was, and everybody in town knows it. I mean, there's no doubt. Everybody knew this man. Everybody knew his plight. And, I mean, you could see it. You could have seen his ankles and, and how, how they looked, and now, all of a sudden, he's restored. He's healed. He's made new. And so we're going to see in the text that even the the priests that gather together, even this this crowd that, that is fighting against Peter and John and the gospel, they know it too. They can't deny it. And we see those very words in the text in verse 16. But as we begin the chapter, they're still in the temple, they're still in Solomon's portico, and you get the priests um, who are in charge of doing the sacrificial system of the you know, in the temple, all the animals. The captain of the temple, that's not a role I can personally recall seeing in my reading of the Old Testament. It could be I passed over it, but not only have they developed a Levitical priesthood, they've de developed a Levitical policehood uh, as well. And so in terms of hierarchy, only the high priest ranks above this man. So you've got the priest, the captain, and you've got the Sadducees. The Sadducees are one group there's also the Pharisees, there's the Herodians, um, and in, it's a it's almost like a political group. They have their own opinions about the scriptures, about the Lord, and so they are their own group here. They have a lot of power, more than the Pharisees even did, because they pretty much, they own the majority of seats at the time of Jesus on that. Uh, Jewish ruling council, which consisted of roughly 70 people, they've got the majority of spots. And so it's, it's the Jewish high court that makes all the decisions over the people. They find out about this. They come. They arrest Peter and John. They throw them in, in, a, you know, in custody here, whether that's in a home or into a, a you know, prison. Wherever they held them, we're not told. But they hold them until the next day. We get the neat note in verse 4 that the church has grown. Um, on Pentecost, it grew to 3,000 in a day. And now since Pentecost, which time frame we don't know here, but since it's, it's grown from three up to 5,000 people. 
Now Annas, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, the high priestly family, we learn in elsewhere in, in Scripture that Caiaphas was the high priest, Annas is his father-in-law, uh, it's likely here that John is probably Caiaphas' son, uh, and next in line to be high priest once his father has passed away. So you get this family picture, which is true of the Levitical priesthood, and, and especially of that high priesthood. And so now you don't just have the captain of the temple, the second in charge. Now you've got the man in charge of the whole temple. And they bring Peter and John out before them, and they ask, essentially, where did this miracle come from? Again, they know a miracle has happened. They cannot deny it. They saw this, this lame man healed. And they ask, okay, where does this come from? Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, which is the fulfillment of what Jesus said back in Luke chapter 12. So remembering this is Luke-Acts. Luke has written both of these books. Luke is picking up on something he had, he had put in from Jesus' speech earlier. So in Luke 12, verses 11 and 12, When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So those are the words of Jesus, and that is fulfilled right here. Not only here, but first fulfilled, I guess you could say, here in this text, that the Holy Spirit has given Peter the words to speak so that he can speak well uh, and defend the gospel in the face of the, the adversaries here. And imagine, imagine going to court for doing something good. Peter and John have healed a cripple and they've been taken to court for it. For a good thing. And they stand firm. It is by the name of Jesus Christ. And we see the same style of preaching that they've done in the previous chapters. Whom you crucified, whom God has raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. Peter then references back to Psalm 118, which shows up several other times in the New Testament. The idea that Jesus is the cornerstone. Um, as you think of a builder laying out the materials needed to build a house and and choosing some that he thinks are worthwhile and throwing others aside that he's not going to use. Well, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and all the others have, have viewed Jesus as being not worthwhile. They cast him aside, but God has raised him up as the cornerstone, as the keystone of the whole thing. So, Verse 12 then gives us a truth. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven by which it has been given to men that we must be saved. This is a truth that is sadly fleeing from, from part of Christianity in our culture today. Um, we have what is called progressive Christianity, which essentially disowns the Bible um, as being God's inspired word, instead believes it is man's word. And so... Christianity must change, it must grow, it must adapt, it must mature, it must evolve. Um, and ultimately what we see among many of those progressive churches today, if we can even still call them Christian, is the push to no longer see Jesus as the only way to get to heaven. They almost have taken on the universalist 
teaching, which is the idea that basically every path is traveling up the same mountain. You get to the same place. It doesn't matter who you follow, which is a complete and utter rejection of the words of Jesus. And if you share those words with Jesus when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, from John 14, 6, they don't even flinch. They just accuse you of making Jesus say something hateful. It's astonishing, but it's it's a reality in which we live within the church today. So be on guard against that, that idea that the church must change, um, that, that, that God's word is somehow outdated. We know Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It comes from God's word, uh, the beauty of the book of Hebrews there. But God is God. God does not change. He is not a shifting shadow. It is the very fact that his nature is unchangeable to us that is so comforting. We know that we we are his. We know that he cares for us. And we know that his promises remain because he's not going to take back his word. He gave you his word. He gave you his promise. And because he is unchanging, he's going to keep that promise. And that's, the, that's the, such a great comfort um, that we don't want to lose out on. All right, so as we move on in the text here, uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul in his writing, chapter 1, verses 18 to 31, picks up on this idea that God chose the, the foolish to shame the wise, the weak to shame the strong, and we see that here. The... The leaders recognize, wait a second, these guys are uneducated. They're just common men. Common men weren't educated in that time period, unlike now. Everybody in our culture pretty much receives at least a basic education. And that was not true in a lot of history. And so they're astonished at how well Peter is speaking and what he's saying and the argumentation that Peter is making before them. Because again, this shouldn't be coming from this uneducated man. But they have no argument because they see the the man who has been healed. They, they cannot oppose it. So they decide instead to try a different tactic, uh, to, to try and limit the spread of God's word, his gospel of Jesus Christ. So they threaten them. They warn them not to speak any more of this Jesus to anyone else. What would you do? There's a question you can in, engage your children with here. If, if you were told by your leaders, by your teachers, by your boss, that you could not speak of Jesus any longer, what would you do? Peter and John say, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They had to. They cannot stop sharing the gospel. We're going to see more of that in tomorrow's chapter. So they leave, they're, well, they're actually thrown out. They, they go back to their the brothers in the church, and together they lift up their voices. They praise the Lord. They bring up Psalm 2. Uh, that quotation in verse 25, 26 is from Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2, that really the whole world would oppose the anointed one, that is Jesus, and they connect that, right? Verse 27, Herod, Pilate, the Gentiles, Israel, all of these stood opposed to Jesus to the plan that God had made all before in terms of how he would save us. And now they are threatening God's people, and so their prayer is that as they are threatened, 
God would grant his servants, he would grant them, the boldness, the strength, the endurance to continue speaking his word. That is an incredibly worthwhile prayer for us as his people today as well. Um, as we start to hear the opposition more so in our culture, and we're going to hear it continue to increase likely in the years to come. Can God give us that boldness? Well, of course he can. Would God? Can we pray that the Lord would give us the boldness to continue to share Christ and him crucified? Or maybe start sharing Christ and him crucified. A question you could talk to your kids about with this one, what stops you from telling other people about Jesus? That's an interesting question that could get you to really start digging into the idols in your life and in your family, uh, the things that you cherish over over the Lord and over what he's given you to do. If it's a fear of, of losing your job, if it's a fear of losing a friendship, you're starting to see the idols then, and you can unpack those, you can repent of them, and ask the Lord to give you boldness. And here we see the prayer is answered, similar to uh, the second chapter, the day of Pentecost, verse 2, and where the house is shaken with that mighty rushing wind, we see the house is shaken here wherever they have gathered, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. So they already have the Holy Spirit, but this is you know, more so uh, as they continue to speak. The, the prayer is answered. They continue to speak God's word. The last paragraph here is going to really give us the segue into tomorrow's chapter. Uh, and we already read about this back in chapter 2 as well. It is stunning uh, that they would look at life this way. All 5,000 of those in the church would believe with one heart and soul that nothing belongs to one man, but that everything is together in common. And that's actually true in the perspective of stewardship, right? What do you own? What do I own in this world? And this is great to teach our kids, too. We don't own anything. We're only managers. Anything you have is something that God has entrusted to you to care for in this world, in this creation. And so they're seeing that, and they're seeing it so vividly. What would this look like among us today? That would be a really neat question maybe for a family conversation, and one I don't have an answer to because we're not a church of 5,000. We're a church of 2 billion, and that's, that's incredible to, to try and think through. But the apostles continue to testify to the resurrection of Jesus. There's not a needy person among them because whenever someone was in need, they sold something from what they held in common and they provided for that person. And again, that's going to bring us to tomorrow's text. They would sell something. They would bring the proceeds to the apostles to be distributed to those in need. And tomorrow we'll see a man who doesn't do that the way he should have.